morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Cloud Spotting. Here in the Northern Hemisphere, the leaves are turning golden brown. They're falling to the ground, which sounds amazing, except that basically means desperately watching the skies for rain and then having to run out in between rainstorms <laughs> to clear up all the leaves in the back garden. So, you know, plus and minus, really, I suppose. Um, but yeah, we're not we're not too worried about the views at the moment, though, other than that out of our back window, because uh, much of the UK is back in lockdown. Um, so we are looking for things to pass our time with. And we thought, what better way than to pass our time than to have a podcast recording? Sai, <laughs> how are you the getting the best on? thing to do. Exactly. I am very good. I am very good. Yep, I'm looking forward to there not being any leaves on the ground. Uh, <laughs> you just like the frost again, and the snow. Just the frost, yes. The frost right. come and cover it all. But no, no, no. Lockdown is interesting. Podcast during lockdown is even more interesting. And it means that you can't physically throw things at me while we're recording stuff. See, exactly. The, the, whole, the whole use of, the, of my Nerf arsenal is, is wasted. <laughs> I don't know if we got, I think we might have talked about that a little bit in previous shows. But uh, yeah, I'm just saying he has actual armor. But we won't go into that. <laughs> yeah, today. Maybe, maybe another episode to go into detail of my uh, Nerf battalion. Um, <laughs> cool, cool. I, um, we, have a, we have a great episode today. Um, mm. This is something that I, I think I've been looking forward to for a long time, uh, purely because I ha I'm a, uh, a less than beginner in this topic, in, in the sense I, I have nothing essentially to contribute. So I'm going oh, to be I listening. Oh, I see. I may have yes. misunderstood that. I thought you were basically being all big-headed. You're like, I know all about this. I don't know why we, know why we got guests no, on no, today. No, 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 no. <laughs> the exact opposite. The exact opposite. So... Just talking about the, the, the episode itself, we are going to be focusing on data and we're going to listen to some uh, amazing people who know what they're talking about. So introducing uh, the guys, we have Ben, we have Mark, we have Nirmal. Welcome to this episode. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thank you. Can you guys give us a brief introduction of yourself? Ben, why don't we start with you? Sure. Yeah. Um, hi, guys. I'm Ben Morgan-Smith. Um, I started my career as a as an analyst, so I have a maths degree, um, and then I found that that wasn't really useful enough to do anything in real life. So I did a master's in <laughs> operational research, which is basically using maths to solve business problems. So I started as an what we call these days a data scientist, um, and then but I found myself increasingly drawn to the tools that enabled um, the insight of that data, and so I moved into uh, data engineering for a few years um, and then found myself in IT and the actual tools under, underneath that that make it all work. Um, so I've been working in data for about 20 years um, and then the last three years I've been working in uh, cloud-enabled solutions. So uh, yeah, so currently specializing in, in delivering data outcomes on, on the cloud. Amazing. Thanks, Ben. Mark? Yeah. Uh, hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Mark McQuaid. Uh, I'm a practice manager here at Rackspace within our data science and engineering practice. Uh, my background, you know, is actually in networking and, and VoIP, actually. Um, but about, you know, six, six, seven years ago, I uh, fully immersed myself into the world of cloud, specifically uh, Amazon Web Services as a cloud, and, uh, you know, kind of just got obsessed, really. And then uh, from there, you know, really took a, a liking to the data and AI ML side. So uh, moved into that uh, kind of realm of it, uh, you know, big learning curve, obviously, from from where I came from being, you know, that networking background. And then, um, you know, became a, you know, a data essay, a big data essay. And, and now, like I said, a practice manager within the data science and engineering practice. So 
mainly, you know, within our practice, we focus on all things data, all things machine learning. So uh, excited to be on the show today. Amazing. No, thank you for being here, Mark. Hey, Nirmal, do you want to go ahead? Yes, I am. Yep, sure. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Nirmal Ranganathan. Uh, I'm a solution manager for our data solutions portfolio. So I focus on our analytics and uh, AI offerings and lead that effort at Rackspace. Uh, my background has been pretty much uh, distributed systems and data from the very beginning. Early 2000s, I uh, started working on grid computing, which used to be the rave back then, and uh, large-scale distributed processing, right? Um, for such projects around physics uh, and bioinformatics. And then moved into commercial grid computing, pre-cloud. And then once the cloud and the Hadoop, um, you know, the evolution uh, began, right? Uh, jumped into the Hadoop ecosystem, uh, worked on various open source projects, uh, built several of our Rackspace's data products uh, over the years. And uh, last few years really been focusing on how data impacts customers and how can customers best leverage data. So understanding uh, customers' needs and shaping offerings so we can help our customers in the best way possible. So being data all around and uh, it's an exciting field to be in. Fantastic. Thank you, Normal. I think it's safe to say, Sai, I think we might have three people here who know a little bit about the data space. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe maybe not just a little, a lot more than data space. Um, I, yeah, talking about data, I think I, I recently came across this this uh, report uh, from Forrester, and one of the, the key titles that it had in his report was, Enterprises Today Are Sitting on an Untapped Gold Mine and they're looking to transform, use it to transform the business. You know, it, it reads amazing. It reads like, wow, this is, this, is, this is fantastic. But actually, when I think about it, I have no idea what they're talking about, and I have no idea how they would use it. So let's, let's talk about that to kick this off. How can businesses use data? What, what is the data that businesses can use to, to, to transform? What kind of information do they, do they kind of pick up and use? So, I mean, wait, you say how can you use data but i mean data is in every business everywhere so if you think about any business um they, they're about making decisions to to create value for their for their customers right or for their shareholders and how do you make decisions well you need to base that on data you need to understand what's going on in your business um you know what what activities are happening what are the um what's the landscape today and what's it been like in the past um, and so you're looking for ways to um, to make use of the data that's already been collected in your organization and turning that into um, insight that allows you to make decisions. Um, and so, so co companies who are um, st starting on that journey will, you know, will be using the old fashioned Excel technique, you know, just stick some data in a spreadsheet, um, you know, muck about with some numbers, um, come up with, with, make a decision and off you go. Um, but then that's not very scientific, right? And you're not going to get consistent results either. So um, as a company matures, you're going to want to build some automation, build some consistency and some systems. And so this is where technology can really, um, you know, help you to um, turn that raw data into decision-making and ultimately automate decision-making. And so, the nirvana of, of, of data decision-making is to have um, predictive um, decisions um, being made automatically by your systems um, 
to the point where you can actually control what happens in the future of your business. So, um, and, and data is at the center of that. So it sounds like we're, we're not, for a typical business, it's not just a case of going from zero to data, push the pedal and, and we're there. Um, you know, why or what are the what are the biggest drivers that we see with customers around them wanting to even start this journey and start moving through these various phases of what we see as a customer's uh, kind of data journey? Mark, what are your thoughts on that? Well, and you made a you said a great uh, a great thing there, data journey, right? And that's that's essentially what I call it every day, um, because uh, you know that quote from from Forrest or one one of the key pieces in that quote is untapped, really, right? Um, a lot of businesses have all this data. Um, whether it be, you know, think about it, right? It could be, you know, from Internet of Things, it could be from social media, it could be from clicks, it could be from, you know, on-premise databases, whatever that is. The data is all there, but, you know, untapped, meaning they don't know what to do with it, right? So many people yep. just don't know what to do with it, and they just have it all. So um, I think, you know, from a, from a high level, you know, getting them started in that data journey is is the first step and the first step to that in my opinion is is getting it into a data lake right so um, a lot of people you know maybe you've heard that word it's kind of a buzzword out there um <laughs> that data lake really just means you know one central location to store right. all of your data in its raw format right um so you don't have to you know transform that data in any way before putting it in there it just you know put it in in its raw format into one spot so you can start building on it and making those data-driven decisions that Ben had mentioned before. Got it. Amazing, amazing. I think that that definitely makes sense. And you're and you're spot on. Uh, data lake is, is is a massive buzzword. You hear that from a lot of, lot of uh, customers that I speak to day in day out. They talk about hosting the data in a data lake and and using a data warehouse, etc., to bring it in. So as totally as a person who who doesn't understand the differentiation and the content context of what is a data lake versus what is a data warehouse? Um, maybe Nirmal, do you have any, any thoughts on how do you sort of position this from a business perspective? Absolutely. Uh, that's I mean, one of the key topics that have been discussed right lately and uh, people talking about convergence of those two as well. So each of those kind of started in different areas where I mean, data warehouse technology has been what, what, 40 years now, right? It started in the 1970s and uh, it's really been there forever and primarily being uh, focused around uh, data that is highly structured, aggregated, and uh, focused on purpose, right? Built for purpose is what a data warehouse has been. And um, really up to even like 2015, it's kind of stayed that way, right? Um, and then you've started seeing the evolution of the big data landscape, right? And the data lake comes from that angle, right? So if you can think of it from two different directions. and um, right. So the data like evolved from just the mass volumes of data, right? I mean, starting with just kind of logs and metrics to all sorts of unstructured data. And that has evolved into, as Mark mentioned, right, a central source for data. And now it's not just thought of as unstructured data, right? Structured data lives in the data lake as well, right? It's just a central repository, whether it's structured, right. structured or unstructured. And, uh, and that's where it starts to bridge the gap between uh, what a data warehouse provides versus uh, what a data lake can provide, right? Uh, with the data warehouse, again, it's more aggregated data and uh, data built for purpose. You have uh, a much more wider variety of data available with the data lake. Not that from a technology perspective, you can uh, really leverage your data lake as a data warehouse as well, right? 
it's another data set you struct. I mean, you aggregate it, build it for purpose, and it can still sit in the data lake. And that's where you're starting to see now the convergence from a data warehouse and a data lake perspective, right? Is, uh, and a lot of that is due to technology evolution, right? It's really the advent of cloud and the cloud data warehouses that has really propelled it there. Uh, if you look at just kind of old school appliance type data warehouses, you don't see that. Well, I think cloud has made, made a, a huge impact in that space, isn't it? Because historically, yeah. to run what you've effectively described there, Nermal, regardless of whether it's a data warehouse or a data lake, is something that sits alongside your production systems is a whole other copy of all your data. This isn't, you're not taking your operational database that's currently running transactions for customers and doing a bunch of queries against it. You're taking copies of all of that and placing that alongside in this other system, regardless of what, you know, what you're choosing to use for that. And the cost of doing that in the old days, you know, where I said, right, I'm going to have to buy another whole, you know, additional storage array to store this. Uh, versus actually just cloning my data, making copies of it temporarily for running specific queries or whatever it happens to be that I want to do, so much more flexible now that we've moved into this cloud era and we and and you know the people talk about data gravity, which is always a bit of a misnomer for me, but it's almost like data inertia. I think the cloud space has made that um, not go away, but certainly made it a lot easier once you've got the data in that space. The beauty of cloud is being able to spin up resources as and when you need them, and then throw them away afterwards. You know, I spent many years managing a, um, a massive database cluster um, on behalf of my, um, you know, my company. Um, and it, we were doing exactly what you were describing, Alex. You know, everything was in the same box. We had our operational processes going on, and then we had our analytical processes going on. And, you know, those two, two processes do not mix well. Um, you know, you can guarantee that, uh, that the analyst team will be, will be working up some massive um, project just at the same time that the um, that the accounts team are trying to pre prepare the end of month reports, um, and you know you're not going to get happy people in that situation. So you put the, put put it into the cloud, and each of those teams is using completely separate resources, um, and suddenly you've got a lot less risk, um, and you've mm -hmm. also got completely partitioned um, cost base as well. So you can you can identify exactly mm, which processes. Yeah, yeah. The main thing from a data lake point of view is that it's self-service, right? You know, mm -hmm. 10, 15 years ago, you might have had two people that needed access to your data, right? And you and they may have had to do some kind of analytical processing, as Ben said, um, where now you might have, you know, 15 kind of groups within your organization accessing your data. And that could be data scientists, that could be data analysts, that could be just business users, and that could be applications as well. So from a self-service perspective, that's where you need a data lake, right? You can't do that doing all that off of a data warehouse because it's built for analytics, right? So, you know, having right. that, you know, data warehouse, uh, or sorry, data lake as your central point um, of storage uh, with the ability to do, provide self-service to your users, I think is the, is the key to a data lake. So really, some really useful points there, Mark. Um, I think one of the things that you're highlighting there is these are different people than historically used data in the old days. What is changing in businesses? You know, this is this goes back to my, I guess, my original question around business. You know, business drivers and the why. What is changing in these businesses that they need all these different people to access all of this data all of the time? Well, that's that's a great question. I think I think it kind of boils down to you know back to that that quote, right? That Sai had mentioned at the beginning, um, and it's it's the gold mine, right? So businesses are starting to realize now that you know this amount of data that they have, um, you know 
what can you do with it, right? So as they start going through those kind of brainstorming um, cycles within their organization, it's, you know, they're coming up with ways that they can use it and, and, and understanding the ways and, and being, you know, kind of wide ranging, they need different, you know, groups from within the organization to access it, right? So, um, you know, business users are accessing your data to uh, maybe look at visualizations, right? Look at graphs, look at charts, right? Um, obviously, uh, data scientists are accessing, need access to your data to perform any kind of machine learning or predictive analytics on that data, right? Um, and kind of the list goes on, right? And applications, of course, right? Your applications also want to access your historical data for, for a variety of reasons that could be. So I think, you know, the why really boils down to, you know, organizations are starting to see that value in their data and then starting to come up with ways on, you know, how to, you know, bring that value out. Yes, Mark, absolutely. I think the you you're mentioning there as well some of the things you talked about the different user bases which are accessing this data probably becoming more and more easy these days to do that as well, you know, tooling and so forth that's being made available to front end users. There's no way I personally, you know, if I look take myself, right? I do quite a lot of operational reporting and things in the role that I do. I could never have done what I do today without the tools that exist today to allow me to get that data and analyze it. Um, as a let's call it a lay person in that space. We needed, you know, 20 years ago or 15 years ago, we needed somebody like Ben to do even the basic stuff that I can do now. So the whole, like, it's almost like everybody's up their game. So what does that mean then for the people who work in the data space like you guys? So that, that hasn't changed, right? So now you go into more uh, really these advanced use cases, right? So where it started was you had groups of people that really touched the data and Right, they prepare reports, dashboards, whatever, right, and provide the business users, and that pretty much was it, right. Now your demand uh, for data and the users, right, are increasing as well, right. As Mark said, right, you've got business users, you've got data scientists, applications, right, all of them wanting access to data, leveraging the data for various purposes. Uh, so that's one aspect, but the self-service piece as well, right, is more about the business users right earlier they were dependent on somebody to provide them the data now as you mentioned with tools and technologies right it's easier for them to do that and one of the big reasons is getting that data in almost near real time right so you're not waiting for a week for a report or uh, in some cases a month right uh, mm -hmm. some organizations right. still do that right you spend two, three weeks in a month preparing data for end of the month reports, right? Or end of quarter reports. Uh, those are not the cases anymore, right? I mean, some customers, some companies are still behind, but the technology has evolved to a standpoint where uh, you can basically get live data, right? Within a few minutes, uh, right? Instant reports on your sales or marketing efforts and all that. So that's, that's really what's um, changing the whole landscape and uh, expanding not just the users of data, but also the user base. Once they've had, once you've given them the taste of near real-time data reporting, it's really hard to go back. <laughs> like when I have data yeah. points that I'm like, oh, this is 24 hours old. I wish I had today's data. That's so frustrating. So yeah, I think the, it goes even further to the point that the, the, you know, the demand is growing, but so are the expectations, aren't they? So yep, absolutely. What 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 is the how do we go about this from you know what's the journey we you know Mark you talked about the journey what's the journey then as we how do we start this what are the first steps on the road what do we need to understand before we start this data journey so um, I like to separate out um, 
the data journey into kind of five lenses, which just to help help her help a business to 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 uh, split out the challenges into um, different ways of looking at it, so, and and they they kind of vary in in the perceived value to the business. So um, to begin with, you've got infrastructure, which every everyone knows you need infrastructure to to, to support a business, um, but it's kind of it's it's locked down in the basement, right? No 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 real customer facing person wants to go near that lot and they don't really understand it, but they know it's kind of in a, in a vague way, they know it's valuable. Um, you know, that's the IT team's realm. Um, and kind of sitting on top of that, you know, it, uh, in a, in a, in a, a t- is a team who, who many um, analysts will talk to on a regular basis. And that's the DBAs, the database administrators. So they're the people who, who are in touch with the, the data that's in that database. They understand the, the tables that are being used to describe the business. They know that the types of queries that analysts are running on a regular basis, which ones are most valuable to them. They also know which users um, you know, run the most efficient code or, or not. Um, and that, so those people will be your friend. If, if you're an analyst, you want to make sure the DBAs um, are your mate because when, when, when the database goes crazy, then um, you, know, you want your query to be the one that doesn't get canceled. Um, but so it's a bit more visible to the business, but it's still very much part yeah. of the IT team. Um, you can tell I'm uh, this, this is, I'm kind of reliving moments from my from my history, from my youth here. I was going to say, for <laughs> the purposes of uh, for our listeners, um, Ben is rocking backwards and forwards at this point while he's uh, explaining that he's just going through his PTSD from being a, being a data guy. So yeah, exactly. This is part of my journey, and so. Even the DBAs generally, I, I ran a team of DBAs for a, for a few years. Um, they that their priority is maintaining the systems, is is maintaining the, um, the 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 running and the performance of that box of wires that happens to contain some data. Um, and while there is a breed of database administrators who understand the business and and will help analysts to write better queries, it, it's it's very much an IT activity. Now that the team that that starts to really connect with the business is your data engineers. And they're the people who construct the data structures, who represent the business through data, who take those tables that's in the data. We were talking earlier about operational data versus analytical data. So the data engineers are the ones who will put together the mappings to, to convert the operational data where the focus is on recording what's happening here and now um, and then as it changes in your business, tracking all of the different artifacts across your business as they change in real time. Whereas with analysis, the focus is on history. What happened in the past? How, how, has, how has the current um, business activity changed since last week, last year, or whatever? Um, because that's the view that business users care about. That's how they manage their business. That's how they make decisions. That sounds like a tough role for the engineer, though, doesn't it? Because... Um... It sounds like you can't just be a generalist engineer in that space. You kind of have to understand the business you're working with. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it, it's a it's a business facing role, but I mean, it's the it's it's the it's the the boundary between the, the IT system and and the and the business system. Um, yeah, so it's it's a it's a multidisciplined world, and it's underappreciated as well because because of the self service nature of most data platforms, um, people have a perception that they can just jump in. Um, and for a small business, for a for a simple-ish um, data structure, that's true. Um, but as as your business becomes more mature and you've got more dimensions you're keeping track of, 
Now I, sh I use the word dimension um, advisory because because <laughs> that's a, a kind of a technical word in, in the data modeling space, but um, which we're not going to get into today, I don't think. Um, as you start to understand some of those dimensions in your business, um, you, you can represent them through data. Um, yeah. So um, just to let me finish my journey, um, the last two stages, I probably make a lot of sense to, to, to listeners because they're the most familiar ones in the business. So you've got your um, analysts or business information users who are um, using dashboards and reports to, 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 to understand what's going on in the business. And so you've got the world of, of BI and, and, and there's a range of visualization tools that help you to, to see what's going on in your business. But again, if that, doesn't, if that isn't sitting on a foundation of a solid data platform, then it won't make a whole lot of sense. And then one report will disagree with the next report. And then finally, you've got data science, which is where you're starting to get really smart with the data. And so this is where you're, you're, you're getting into the predictive world um, and, yeah, and you, you can actually drive the future of your business. Um, and so this is, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's the pinnacle of, of creating value from data, but it, again, and it, it need, the, the results need to be consistent with those BI reports. Um, and they need to be based on that same foundation of data um, that, that's, um, that we were talking about earlier. So when people talk about things like AI and ML and these things that everybody wants to do, but not everybody really necessarily <laughs> knows exactly what, what it is and what they, want it, what they want it to do, does that mostly sit in that fifth phase, um, if, I, if I'm understanding you rightly? And you know, are there elements of that earlier, earlier than that? And then I suppose the other part of that question would be, do you really need AI and ML to get all the stuff out of your data? Or it sounds sounds like there's a lot of things that you can do long before that. Yeah, I mean, so and it's kind of a, an interesting field. Um, and the the words, the phrase AI, ML get overused. So um, when I talk about this fifth lens, I'm really talking about data science. Um, so I'm right. talking about custom insights into your data, which is kind of the beginning of, a, of the journey of AI, ML, because at the end of the day, you're concerned with creating data, um, insights into your business, um, which to start with will be um, a piece of paper with some words on it, which tell the managers where, where the next opportunity lies in their business, right? But then as that opportunity matures and you want to exploit it, then you're going to build systems to, to leverage that insight, that, that opportunity, and ultimately you're going to automate that process. And so the the model that you created to generate that insight will turn into a machine learning model, which will ultimately be implemented into some systems, which ultimately become artificial intelligence. Um, and so mm -hmm. the AI that, that you and I experience every day um, in our smartphones and our websites and, and all around us, each one of those instances um, is the result of a, um, a process of of custom insight, which has been evolved into a tool and into a product, but it all starts with data, right? So, so ultimately, it's it, um, the behind it all that there'll be um, some some insight that's that that that's um, being automated to give you what you want. Wow, yeah, thank you, thank you, Ben, for that detail. I mean, from a, from a, as an infrastructure person, it, it is slightly overwhelming to see all the different phases and how much. Um, data has to go through and how many teams are involved or how many people are involved. So let's let's take it a view slightly back. Let's let's zoom out a bit. Looking at those different phases, looking at the, the journey of the data, how do we use, how do customers use it? What do they do with it? How do they sort of apply those different phases? Yep. So 
at the infrastructure layer, at that very first layer, right, to database, it's more about your applications and products that they use, right? So it's all the transactional data and operational data. It's a lot of the management around that. And at this point, pretty much everybody, pretty much every company is doing that, right? Everybody's got some sort of data. There's no real application without data, right? Is what I keep telling customers always. So everybody has something. And so that level, that exists, right? The next level is when you start leveraging that more for from an operational perspective, right? Sales operations or even business operations, right? And business reporting, finance, right? So those common, if you want to think of them as horizontal functions, right? Applicable to basically every business and every company. And uh, a lot of that really revolves around that BI, right? So it's more of um, just the kind of descriptive analytics, as it's called, right? Like just describing what you have and putting that together for a business consumer to understand how things are functioning, right? So be it in the finance world or uh, be it on the product side, right? Or again, depending on the industries, right? Your operations, supply chain, transportation, whatever, right? So that's one layer that, uh, again, we have a lot more uh, customers implementing those or we have been implementing those for a long time. And uh, and from there, right, you get into that next step, and we're then starts talking about uh, the data engineering, the data science, and that's where you start talking about a little more advanced use cases than just the script, right? That's where you start getting into more of the predictive nature, right? Till now, you're basically doing using data that you have, and basically just understanding what you have, right? I have, I've, for example, just take the sales example, right? I've sold. X number of products over the last month and seeing trends and things like that, right? So everything yep. is derived based on what you have as opposed to uh, on the predictive side, right? You're really starting to get to the next step where you you have a known quantity and you're starting to look into the future, right? So I think that's where the line starts to draw, right? You're looking into the past versus you start looking into the future. And right. uh, with predictive, again, there's horizontal uses, right? So from a, bringing the same finance or sales or marketing exercise, right? Example, you start um, predicting, okay, what's my next month sales going to be? Or is my product functioning well, right? So am I going to get uh, a better outcome of sales for my product next year based on uh, just the trends I'm seeing in the market, right? So now we're not just looking at just your sales data and product data that you have, but you're starting to pull data from external sources to really understand and start to make those uh, predictive decisions on, okay, are we going mm -hmm. in the right direction? And that's gonna help you shape your strategy and your process as you go along. Yep. So in the old, in the old days, you used to draw a, a trend line, didn't you? You used to say, right, here's my sales yep. data, here's my things for the last number <laughs> of quarters, so it's probably gonna be this for the next one. And your point, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, is there is so much more to it than that and that you now have the power and the ability to draw on all of these other factors to then get a much more accurate picture of that. Exactly. I mean, 20 years back, when I mean, there was less uh, comments and less reviews, right? So if your stuff's sold, it's sold. <laughs> and uh, other people's in uh, kind of uh, commentary and influence didn't really influence the product sale, right? It was all about, did you get the ads right, right? <laughs> and that's about it. Now there's so much influences on how things happen, right? from a product and services mm -hmm. perspective. Uh, so that's where you really start to uh, 
gather that input and that input is often not structured enough not not often uh, things that businesses collect by default right so that's where you start getting into that data science space um, and then the predictive also applies for specific verticals right so if you look at uh, any of the industrial manufacturing right there a lot of um, uh, things come around maintenance right so predictive maintenance is kind of one of the key use cases where you're starting to uh, detect how things are performing right could be your vehicles it could be uh, industrial machinery it could be just uh, things like transportation right truck deliveries and things like that so you're starting to collect data on how those things are performing and, in real time uh, and real yep in real time exactly and yeah. uh, you start to get an insight on okay these things are going to fail at some point or this is going to cause uh, these other actions right and you're basically taking uh, kind of predictive uh, or earlier actions to prevent future failures right so that's where the predictive piece comes into play or predictive maintenance mm -hmm. comes into play so we have we have customers who are doing some of this already today haven't we where they're doing real-time monitoring of components within uh you know mechanical systems that's feeding back into solutions that then they're analyzing for to your point what's what's happening now getting a really cu a current view of the world and being able to immediately or proactively respond but even better analyze that data to estimate what future failures are likely to be proactively sending out you know i'm mean, using your exact example there sending out parts in advance <laughs> knowing that a part is about to fail what an amazing you know capability for a business to do and what a level of service they're then providing all of a sudden that starts to become closer to the baseline in the future and there's almost like you know it's table stakes for for many organizations that they need to get to that point i i also wanted to take it back a second and just mention you know that data journey we've been talking about and, and ben uh, you know, kind of discuss the end-to-end -end kind of data journey and, and what an organization, you know, should be looking at. But I'll say just quickly that, uh, you know, from I think the biggest step for a data journey is is to get your data in, right? Get your data in to one central location. I mean, if you if you look at it from a from a perspective, look at it from a a recipe, right? Say you're cooking something, you're not going to look at the recipe in your kitchen without the food, right? So uh, you need that food in the kitchen to start cooking, right? So same as that, right? So you you don't necessarily need to see what you want to do with that data until you get it in. Get the data in first, and then you can make your, your data-driven decisions from there. Um, and for specific use cases, um, I'll, I'll talk about a real specific one that I see you know, a ton out there nowadays with businesses, and that's um, speech-to-text pipelines, right? So um, that is, you know, these massive companies that have, you know, massive amounts of uh, audio files that are, mm. you know, possibly from their contact centers or, or, you know, whatever that might be, audio files. And, you know, what are you doing with all that audio, right? So what they do, what, what I see a lot out there now is clients are saying, okay, let's get that audio into a data lake, um, then let's uh, transcribe it. So you're going to convert that audio to text. Um, and then you're going to run some kind of machine learning on it, right? Some kind of artificial right. intelligence. So, um, you know, th that's kind of the first step, right? So the first step of your journey, bring the data in um, and then start performing that, that predictive analytics on it. So, uh, you know, itself transcribing it from audio to text itself is, is machine learning, right? Um, and then what they like to do is they like to pull sentiment out of those calls, right? They like to pull keywords, key phrases out of it, right? Um, and then from there, 
the kind of the sky's the limit, really, right? A lot of clients I see nowadays are using that data and putting it back into the agents for training purposes for contact centers, right? Um, or they're building graphs and visualizations based on the sentiment to say, okay, look what look, you know, look what the sentiment is for here versus here, right? Kind of thing. Um, and it, it's a uh, you know, it, as I said, that's a very specific use case, but it kind of drills down on you know what that end-to-end -end journey can look like from a, a one use case perspective breadth of use cases for sentiment analysis are just huge as well. I mean, we see it in social media, we see it across all sorts of other different communications methods as well. So you're you're adding one extra step in that speech to text, but then you're following a, a, a path there, which gives you so much insight into what your customers are thinking and feeling about you in whatever situation they're communicating. What do you think, Ben? I was, I was just thinking about the process that goes into making that happen, because to Mark's point from earlier, you, it all starts with the data. You have to load that data into your lake. Um, and to create a machine learning model, you need massive amounts of historical data. So, so for the contact center example, you're talking about you know, gigabytes, terabytes of, of spoken word from thousands, millions of customers talking to your agents. Um, and you're going to do some modeling on that. But then once you've modeled it, you've then got to work out a way to translate the insights from that into what happens in the real life you know so can you actually influence a live um, conversation with a customer in real time based on what that customer just said and i mean the, that's where it where the whole big data world starts to get really mind-blowing is, is is how you can have that um, specific um, machine learning initiated um, insight be, that, that gets that allows you to influence real-time um, interactions with your customers that's a very, very, I, I never even thought about it in that context, you know, it's absolutely fa fascinating, terrifying, uh, but also like, you know, the, the use cases for that, again, just absolutely massive. Um, yeah, tell me about and it. This I mean, whole this, episode is blowing my mind. <laughs> so the, the, the power becomes quite scary. And this is where you start having to think about ethics just as much as you do about technology. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Oh, see, now, you, now you've just opened up another can of worms. But the problem is, ben, <laughs> that we've, we're just about out of time. Uh, but <laughs> ethics is a, is, a, is a fantastic subject matter, I think, for something we can potentially add to another episode. Because I think, for me, this has been super interesting. I've learned loads. Um, and oh, yeah. thank you very much, Same here. chaps, for, um, for sharing your knowledge with us. I'd love to have another session, follow up later on, and we'll do a session uh, in a couple of months, maybe. And we'll talk more about data. If you're up for it. Lovely. <laughs> Absolutely. Indeed. Absolutely. Indeed. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to us uh, recording that next episode. And uh, it's come to that time of the show. You knew it was coming. Same as every month. Uh, we're looking for <laughs> some recommendations. So, Ben, do you want to kick us off with uh, a, a book that you've read of late uh, that you'd recommend to our listeners? Sure. So it's, it's not particularly related to what we're talking about here today, but I was just inspired by The Unicorn Project by Gene Kim, just because ah, it, yes. it, it tells a story of a protagonist working in, an, in a large enterprise, trying to create value, trying to make things better for that enterprise, but kind of against the, the, the apparent will of that enterprise. And, and it just really spoke to some of my, 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 my good old days of, of, try, of you know, trying to struggle in that space. And, and by the way, there's a bunch of really good insights on how to do better um, application development in, in that book. So I, I enjoyed it as a story as much as a, an industry insight. 
Fantastic. I, I do love it when they bring out books like that, kind of written in a parable kind of a style. Mm. And Gene Kim, he also did the, the Phoenix Project before, wasn't it? It's that a follow-up. It's based in the same company. That. Yeah. <laughs> ah, so Brett is... Brett, oh, so, you know, I, I haven't actually managed to get around to reading it yet, but spoiler alert, is Brent still in it? He is. is it Brent? <laughs> oh. he's, not, he's not... He's kind of in the background. Oh, okay. Interesting. Right. Well, there's a little teaser for anybody who hasn't read it yet. <laughs> uh, myself included. Mark, what about yourself? One of my favorite books out there on machine learning, uh, which also gets into deep learning as well, is uh, it's called Hands-On Machine Learning with Scikit-Learn, Keras, and TensorFlow uh, by, uh, if I pronounce this right, Aurélien Guéron, French French author, uh, fantastic author in regards to ML in general. Um, the book kind of goes end to end from, you know, talking about, you know, what is machine learning, um, you know, why we use it. Uh, and then specifically, you start building, you know, some some models with scikit-learn kind of on the traditional uh, machine learning side. And then the kind of second half of the book, you get into Keras and TensorFlow and you get into deep learning. Um, so a fantastic book uh, for me. I love it. And, uh, you know, I'm slightly obsessed at the moment with deep learning. So um, anyone who likes to, to play around with fascinating things, I think it's a, it's a great book. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna jump in here. I'm gonna jump in here. I, I I got a book this time. Yeah, I I just picked it up last week and I've started reading it. Uh, it's a book called The Rack We Built. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. Uh, it's a guy called Lorenzo Gomez who is an ex racker from from US, and he's basically written this book about uh, how the the whole rack space culture has has uh, evolved and shaped. A racker, and it's really cool. interesting. Uh, yeah, really cool, really cool. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I've just started reading it, um, but it's really interesting to understand what defines a racker and why it's different from anyone it's else. Been the in thing the that we've been we've been known for in the industry, isn't it? It's a it's a it's exactly. a really notable culture working in this organization. Um, so it's uh, yeah, I had actually completely missed that they'd released that. So I'm gonna have to go and have a look at it. Ah, yeah, get it, get it. I, I'd definitely recommend get it. Fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. Well, all our listeners, uh, I hope you enjoyed that episode. My, I, I'm totally, my mind is completely blown. The amount of information that we've discussed, the, the amount of data we've created um, in, in the episode, it, it's been fantastic. And the, the concepts are, are really, really um, exciting. And I'm pretty sure, I mean, Alex, I think we'll agree. We definitely need to do a follow-up on this. We need to go in a bit more detail on, on certain aspects. Uh, and I've got so many questions brewing up uh, on all these topics, um, which I will say for another day. Um, don't want to fill up this one episode. But uh, listeners, if you enjoy the episode, let us know. Uh, and if you have any questions or if you have any um, topics that you want to go into more details, anything, even, even down to the topics that we discussed on this episode, let us know. Our, our Twitter handle is at Spotting Cloud, so tweet us. Uh, we will sort of definitely pick up your responses and, and look into going more detail. Um, you can also reach us on rackspace.com slash cloud spotting. Uh, that's our URL. Um, a nice shiny website is live now. Um, so yeah, it's definitely. Uh, it's lovely. Uh, nice we, we, thank you to Chris, who's, uh, who's been sorting out all of that. It's amazing. <laughs> It is, it is, it is fantastic. So um, as a wrap up, thank you. Thank you, our guests, Ben, Mark, Nirmal. You guys are, are fantastic. You, so much, so much knowledge there. Uh, I can't even comprehend. Um, and thank you to our listeners for listening to the episode. Goodbye. Goodbye.